there is anybody new. I'm Scott, and I am an interim pastor here. And I'm Alana, and I am the executive pastor here. Fantastic. So, Alana, something's happening in a couple of weeks. Any, any idea what that might be? <laughs> it's pretty exciting. I hear, actually, we are getting to meet our potential new boss. Yes. It's good. So we kind of rehearsed this, not really, but um, when we were talking about who's going to do what in this, I said, in my mind, I said, Alana has to do this next part because she's a de detailed person and she'll get all of the facts right. So we want to give you a little bit more information about Simon and Irene and their, and their two daughters coming. And Alana, take it away. No pressure, hey? No pressure. Good. Yeah, so as you know, Simon and Irene are coming. They're coming November 18th. Uh, they will be with us as a church family on November 20th and 27th. So they're here for a full week. And there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you as a church. I'll leave that there. It's good. Uh, for you as a church to engage with them and get to know them better. Um, and... Uh, I'll give you a few highlights today, but next Sunday we will actually have a published printout so that you can see where your chance is depending which, um, which group you find yourself in. But as a large group, um, after church on November 20th, we will be having a lunch. It will be by donation. Um, we'll be serving lunch and they'll be sharing a meal with us. They'll share their testimonies and it'll just be a really informal way. They'll, they'll mingle and get to say hi to as many of you as possible, but there's a lot of us, so that could be challenging. Um, but yes, yeah, so there'll be lunch after that. The, there'll be a number of groups throughout the week with the Abundant Joy Club on Wednesdays. Um, and I'm drawing a blank. It'll all be out there. Oh, we've got something with young adults. We have something Thank with you. house churches. We have something with families. See, uh, know, oh, FX. Yeah. FX. Yeah. yeah, so all that will get published next Sunday. You'll be able to see it all. On the 27th, we'll have a more formal question and response time after the service here in the sanctuary where um, after having had a week with them, you might have questions um, uh, that you're going to want to ask. We will actually be opening up a registration form where you can submit questions ahead of time. A lot of us are going to have the same ones, um, and so we can sort of get the ball rolling with that. So we'll give you all those details in the coming days on how you can submit a question that you would like to ask of Simon and or Irene. Did I miss anything? No, I think the only thing I want to add is, is that, um, you know, Sundays are, that they're here are pretty important times. And I would really encourage you to look at your schedule and just to make sure that uh, you can be here for that time. Um, it, it, it is important. So uh, there's a lot of time on Sunday, the first Sunday where we're going to do a meal together. And then there's also the next Sunday, which will be, uh, we'll shorten things up a little bit for our our service, but then there'll probably be another hour after that where there'll be a Q&R. So please uh, bring your Scooby snacks uh, that day and, um, and just make sure your schedule fits. We really want you here. We really want you to get to know and meet Simon and Irene and their children. So I think that's it. I think so. All right. Uh, my next one is up there. Boom. No? Something? Okay. Uh, it's Christmas and Christmas is coming and we need help. We need some decorations up, and it actually would happen the Sunday that Simon and Irene are here, their first Sunday. And Second we, Sunday. Huh? Second Sunday. Second Sunday. Thank you. Second Sunday. We need, we need the stage decorated and things decorated, and we would love someone to take the lead on it. There it is. We'd love someone to take the lead on that and help us out. We've got all the decorations. We just need a person, and then some more people to come and decorate. So if that's you, uh, come and talk to Alana. 
uh, about it. And she will get you squared away. Or you can talk to Christy, too, because she knows all things here. Um, and a segue into that, something that is really exciting, that I'm just going to give you a little snippet in, and that um, Jesse's going to give you more on, and that, that is this. Jesse has this fantastic idea of providing some gifts for our community down at Boys Road. And that's where you come in, where we're going to ask you to help provide those gifts, and then families get to come and shop for gifts. And they're going to pay a little bit, because we're going to pay a lot. And uh, we just want to bring them Christmas. So she's going to give you details, just a little snippet. Next week, you'll get all the full details. But I'm really, really excited about this opportunity. Right, Michelle? Yep. Good. Good. Last one that we have this morning. Last week, you're going to hear us talk about this is our fundraiser event next Saturday. It's coming up in six days. We're very excited. So this coming Saturday, November 12th, between four to six, we are having a fall fundraising carnival here. Bring the family. There's going to be carnival games. It's 50 cents a ticket. If you're not into carnival games, that's okay. Please still come. We're going to have a silent auction. There are some fantastic items to auction uh, to bid on and, um, and to win. And all of the proceeds are going to go towards our youth missions trip to a cool Guatemala in the spring. Uh, we're going to have food. There's going to be hot dogs and chips and pop and cotton candy. All the really, we're hitting all the food groups, let's face it. Um, but it's going to be beautiful. So um, come support our youth group. Really, that's the point. We're supporting our youth missions team. So come have a good time this coming Saturday between 4 and 6 p.m. here at the church. Okay. That's our three that's things. Good job. Can I have that? Thank you. <laughs> Good. Um, I have the honor again just to talk to you about um, membership again. And just before I, as I do that, you know, we, we talk about membership. If you've been hearing this word tossed around and you have questions about what that actually means here at New Life, or if you're saying, no, I, I've been thinking about this and I actually want to join a membership, please reach out to either myself, any one of the elders, if you know who they are, um, they'll, they'll be happy to answer questions, Scott as well. But we would love to give you information about what that actually means for us at New Life. Uh, you've heard me talk about the commitment that comes in membership and how uh, new members are making a commitment to new life as a church, saying, yes, I am going to commit to being discipled by you and to, to giving and to serving and praying together. But we as a church are also committing back to them those same things that we are committing to disciple them, uh, to steward their gifts well and to pray and serve alongside each other. But I just want to tell you the value that comes in actually taking that step. Um, you know, when we look around, we can, probably all of us can look around the room and recognize there are faces missing uh, that we are, we're used to seeing on a Sunday morning. Certainly between pre-COVID and now, there are faces missing. Um, and did you know that our elders are actually, uh, they have a list that they're going through of people that we know are missing um, and they're calling them and not as a guilt-inducing, hey, <laughs> Where are you? It's not at all like that, but it's, it's out of care of saying, are you okay? We haven't seen you in a while, in a long time, in a short time. We have not seen you, and we care about you, and we miss you. Now, why do I say that? Because as a member, you are identifying yourself as, um, 
as saying, we actually want to be shepherded by you. We are joining your flock. Please shepherd us. And it makes it easier for the elders and the pastors to do that when we know that you're making that commitment. Um, so just wanted to throw that in there. That's a big part of what membership is, um, to say, hey, I want to be a part of your flock. So today, we're going to introduce four new members. I'm going to invite them to come up now, Alan, Melanie, Thiessen, and Michael and Lorraine Wagemakers, if you guys can come up and join me up here. All four of these fine folks, correct me if I'm wrong now, um, actually came to New Life during COVID, during lockdown, moved to the island from uh, out of province, I think even for all of you, right? Uh, during COVID. And so they got to know us as a church online before ever stepping foot in the building. And um, I have gotten to know all of you in some bigger and smaller ways. These fine folks are in my house church and I've had the pleasure of getting to know you guys as well. To know any of them is really honestly to know God's love. They are all beautiful, beautiful people, um, love to serve. And so uh, we don't have time for them to share their entire faith journey this morning, of course. Um, I've given them a really, really small snippet of time to share something. Uh, but I really just want to encourage you to get to know them. If you see them in the foyer, stop and uh, talk to them, introduce yourself, get to know their stories because they're wonderful Wonderful, wonderful journeys. Today, I'm going to ask all of you just one question and invite you to share really briefly. So I'm actually going to, we'll work our way left to right. Can we start with you, Michael? You want to start with Lorraine? Okay. So Lorraine, um, if you could just share with us, what is something God's teaching you lately? Um, teaching me lately, it's more, he is reminding me. Uh, when I was a new Christian, I was with the navigators at university, and I was warned early on to be very careful that in two years' time, my circle of friends were Christians only. Hmm. And so I'm, in coming here to a new church, to a new community, I'm reminded my mission field is my neighborhood, not just being at church. Thank you. Go ahead and pass that to Michael. What is God teaching you lately? Oh, many, many things. So. Um, I became a Christian when I was eight years old. Not too far from here in that direction, Bethel Baptist Church in Seashell, BC. I'm 60 now, and so you would think that I have my life together and God has worked through all these issues that I had. Well, no. Um, a big issue when I was younger is I'm very self-centered. Just ask my sister, she will tell you. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is also mine. So I knew that God wanted me to be generous and to give generously, and that was something that I needed to work on. And so I worked on that. And again, just ask my sister. I have improved. However, um, uh, recently, I, I was in a situation where I was very generous with, with a friend, and that was taken advantage of. And it caused me to think, do I need to limit generosity to the people that I know and trust? Or can I extend that? And so recently, uh, here at New Life, I have been part of the uh, missions committee team, and in particular working with uh, Henry Wickerink, uh, the Cowichan Valley Basket Society. And it has been going through my mind that how good is it to give 
to people you don't know, who will not come to you and say thank you because you don't know who they are, but you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. How do I know it's the right thing to do? Well, I've been a Christian for more than 50 years, and I know a lot of stuff. I've been to a lot of uh, uh, church events. I've been to, you know, uh, praying, reading my Bible, all these things. I know what God wants me to do. And I look at his life, at, and, and Jesus is extremely giving. God is very gracious and is described as a generous giver. That is what I want to be. Amen. Thanks, Michael. I'm going to pass this over to you guys. So, Al, what is a spiritual practice that you've been engaging in? And, because I forget exactly how I worded it, how is it changing your relationship with the Lord? Uh, the spiritual practice that I focused on for 45 years, actually, has been keeping a journal. I had to kind of translate that in my head. It wasn't a diary, because that I, I wasn't sure what to do with that word back then, but I thought of it more of an explorer. And so a journal was a way of keeping track or charting my spiritual life across the landscape of all the seasons of my life, I guess. And it came at a time when I was highly skeptical about faith. I'd been nurtured by the church, been given the tools to critique culture and sort of false religions and all that stuff. But I turned it on my own faith and really stumbled over the question of, can you actually hear God speak? Uh, how does he speak through scripture and how can you tell the difference between that and your self-talk? or the other voices of culture, or your parents, or any of that stuff. So at that moment, I think of extreme skepticism for me. Someone came along and said, well, here's a simple practice to try. Start with your fledgling desire to know God. So draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Take that as a step of faith. And then she said, just start reading through the Bible short sections and then just write down what you think it says and interact with that and pray that through and just keep working forward. So it was kind of like a, an experiment with God. Mm -hmm. And so I kept walking with him and 45 years later, <laughs> I have two boxes of notes that I'm kind of reviewing now to kind of see how God has worked across my lifespan. Yeah, that's great, thank you so much. Melanie, same question. What spiritual practice are you currently engaging in and how is it changing your relationship with the Lord? Okay, mine is um, a bad hair day journal. It's not the same as what he does. <laughs> it's, it's actually a journal for bad hair days, but also for good days too. Um, it's a practice that I started 25 years ago. Um, before that, I, somebody had given me a little book that was called um, Thinking, Think of God Speaking to You and Saying. And then it had, it personalized, you know, words as if Jesus was speaking. And so that really helped me in my journey because I was kind of a difficult, moody person at points. And it helped me center. And so then at 25 years ago, I came up with the idea that I should just take the thoughts um, that God gave me and just write them in little pieces and snippets in a journal. So I'd have my rambling journal and then I would have another journal while I only just put God's thoughts. Um, and so they're just like verses, songs, sentences. Um, 
sentences from books uh, or sermons, those kinds of things where I felt like God was saying this and calling me to this. Um, so truths about God, how he sees me, reminders of where I want to be with God. I know I'm not there, but that's where I want to be. Uh, statements that draw me back uh, to begin to be open to God and to, again, surrender again. Um, often uh, they're connected with stories, uh, with a story or a struggle, uh, and God giving me some thoughts or giving me verses that specifically um, give me a sense of him being present back then and being present now. And so one of those I thought, this is one of my old ones, um, but it's one that the thought kind of keeps coming back to me, and it's from David Benner's book, Desiring God, which is actually in your library. Um, it says, I can't make the spiritual changes that I want on my own, but I can talk with God honestly about the realities of my soul. I can turn back towards God, hear Jesus' gentle words of invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So this book is my rest for my soul book. That's great. Thank you. Well, if I'm allowed to, on behalf of the elders, do I get to say that? On behalf of the elders of the church, we do welcome you into membership. Thank you for committing to us. We make the same commitment back to you. And let me just pray, and then we'll move on. So God, we thank you for Michael and Lorraine and for Al and Melanie. We thank you that they they love you and they want to um, further your kingdom and that they're choosing to do that with us as well at New Life. So God, I pray that our relationship would grow, that we would um, support one another, that we would spur one another on in our faith and our ministry. We just thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again. Hey you, hey you. Is that, can I even say that? Is that proper? Church family, I'd like you to do something with me. Um, as we move into uh, our time of message, um, and then we're going to move into a time of communion, I would like you to open your Bibles up, if you have them, to the passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's going to be up here on the screen as well, uh, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to ask you to do something else as well because you might fall asleep between now and to the end. And so I'm going to ask you to stand um, as we read scripture. This is something actually what, what would take place within the, uh, within the synagogue. They would read scripture and they would stand. If you can't stand, that is fine. But we're going to start in verse 14. And... Anna, will you flip my, my uh, next slide when I get to the end of 17? Thank you. So let's start at verse 14, and it reads like this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is a, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, in Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and, entrust, and entrust, trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ and God making his ample excuse me, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you. You may be seated. There's so much in here, we can't even dive into all of it. I mean, even that last part where it says you, um, that, that, you, that we might become righteousness of God. Can I tell you that if you started to explore the different theological thoughts on that, you would find a lot of different thinking on that line alone. I'm not going to go there. I'll let you explore that. We'll come back to it maybe sometime later. Where I do want to start is I want to start back where Paul says for the love of Christ controls us. Well, what is he saying there? Um, some of you in your Bibles, it may say compel. I have three ways that you can interpret this. It is this coupling. I like that. That the love of Christ, this coupling, it, such as it holds two things together. Or restraining, that it's holding someone prisoner. That's good too. That the love of Christ is restraining us, it's holding us as a prisoner or constraint, being gripped with an inner pressure. I like that one too. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful one. Inner pressure, something inside is got us. So I got thinking, because that's what I do sometimes in my office. That's very dangerous when I'm all alone. And I thought, how can I actually give this example that you would be able to grasp hold of? And of course, Andy's not here today. I don't think so, but Andy comes to mind because he's a, visual, he's a very, very visual learner. And I got to thinking, I like working with wood. So I got a couple of blocks of wood. I had all day yesterday to actually get my blocks of wood, but do you know that I didn't do it until this morning at 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. I'm out in my shop cutting my wood. My neighbors love me. <laughs> all right, two blocks of wood here. How can we, um, how we can understand this? Well, the first block of wood, it's you. It's me. It's us. All right? This one here. That's what it says there if you can't read it. The second block of wood, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so when you put them together, make sure that I got them right. And when we look at these words and we get this idea of this coupling, this vice here is like his love. And it takes us and it binds us together. Let's see if I can do this. There we go. And that's good. That's really good. Uh, listen, I'm still your boss for a little while longer. All right? <laughs> oh, I love that man. Okay, so it binds us together. 
His love. But, it, but I think there's something more to that, and that's why I got the glue, because sometimes I can kind of remove this. But there's this part here of his love that I just, I really love. And it's this love that binds us. And it's this inner pressure that happens that is really fantastic. Of course, you know what I wrote on here, right? Love. Exactly. And now when you put it together, and hopefully what I've been able to do is give you a very clear picture of what this is talking about. That this love of Christ, you and me, the outer pressure of this love, the inner pressure of this love, takes, oh, I knew I was going to do that. Sorry. It's upside down. It would bug me the whole time. The outer and inner pressure of his love, it does, it binds us together. It's a fantastic picture of us right here. Inner and outer, him and us. It compels us when it is in us like this, when it's around us like this, it compels us. What is it about this love? What is it about this love that, that would do this, that would compel us? If you're sitting here today and you're going, man, what are you talking about, Scott? Love, Jesus. It's going to bring us to this, the table, the cross, right there, the two coming together. Well, Paul does a great job. We're going to set this aside here. Paul does a great job. Let's move to, to this. And he says, why does Christ's love move in this way? Because it's the work of the cross. That Christ died for all. Isn't that good? Like if you're sitting here today, I want to tell you that Christ died for you. He died for all. It says, matter of fact, he died for the whole world. It wasn't just for a part of the world, but he died for the whole world. And he says, all have died. Some haven't realized it yet. Some haven't realized this relationship of the cross and what Christ has done on the cross for you. And you might be one of those people, you don't realize it, or you haven't totally come into and experienced it in this way. So what I want to do is I want us to slow down for a minute and I want to read this again because this is the love. This right here, this right here says because of this is what I'm being compelled to do. So it says, because we have concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I want to take it one step further for us this morning. 
I want to personalize it. So as I read this, maybe your focus is the cross. Maybe it's a communion table. Maybe you're just going to close your eyes. And I want you to visualize, I want you to think about death. Jesus became your sin, who knew no sin. So it's like you're, you are not responsible for somebody else's actions, but you will take responsibility for their actions. So let me read this again. So your eyes may be closed, you may focus at the cross, you may focus at the communion table, but I'll read it again. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for you. Therefore, you have died. He died for you. that you might live, that you, that you who have lived might no longer live for yourselves, but for him who for your sake died and was raised. Are you compelled yet? Are you compelled? It doesn't even feel like I can speak. What can I say? What words can I say? that can even match what we're just reading right now. Think about your life right now. Maybe you are someone who's in grade five. Maybe you are 99. run through your life, run through your failures, your imperfections. Right there. Is that not beautiful? Okay. <clears throat> I could, we could stop right there but I'm going to move us on and hopefully bring it back around. So what is Paul, when he's talking here and he's saying, how do we look at each other? Because it's important. If this is before, what, what, what Christ has done for us, he's done for everyone. How should we look at those around us? And Paul says that we, we shouldn't look at them according to the flesh, but we should look at them according to the fact that they are a new creation. Of course, if you've been around the church for a while, that word new creation means metamorphosis. I had it. Man, I practiced this. Help me out. 
Thank you. Great. We're morphine. We're morphine. Metamorphosis. I can't. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Uh, we, but we're morphing. We are going from, we are a new creation. That's where we are in Christ. And then we get to continue to move into that, into that, into that, into that. And, and Paul's saying, don't look at the person here. Look at the person where they are in Christ. View them through Christ. That is what is important. I don't know if, if you are sitting over here and you are sitting over here or vice versa, if because there's somebody that's over here that you don't really want to talk to or something like that. Sometimes that happens in church. I know, heaven forbid, we, we all don't get along. It's true. But how are you looking at each other? How are you looking at each other? How do we even look at people outside of the church? Andy Crouch, he, he's, a, he's a brilliant mind. He, he writes about how he's gone to the airport and um, he can't really sit still, but he's going for a prayer walk. And as he's walking around, God gives him this idea that when he looks at somebody, he's going to look at them and he's going to see them not as an old person, not as a young person, not as somebody who's a Muslim, not as somebody who is whatever he may make them up to be. But he's going to look at them and he's going to say, that young mother with children, is a child of God. That, that Muslim is a child of God. Why? Because God created them, and how I view them will be how I respond to them. And if I'm looking at somebody and I'm seeing them, I'm going to see them in the flesh or I'm going to see them in the spirit. How does Christ look at them? Well, I go back here a couple slides, and he died for them as he died for you. That's how he sees them. So, let's move this way. What does it mean to be reconciled? Paul is the only one in the New Testament that uses this word reconciliation, reconcile. He's the only one. And most of the time, except for one time in 1 Corinthians, I think it's used six times, five out of the six times it's used in this context of God reconciling us. One time it's used about marriages being reconciled, which is fantastic. It's huge. But Paul's the only one. He's unique right here. He's the only one that uses this term reconciliation. And it describes what happens to us. It's not what we do. We don't reconcile ourselves to God. If we did that, that puts us in charge. And I'll tell you, we don't want to be there. We don't want to be in charge. Because every time we're in charge, what do we do? We mess it up. God is in charge. He's the one that's doing the reconciliation. It's the work that God has done for us already that we get to recognize and engage in. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. And I'm glad I'm not the one who does the reconciliation. But it's him. Therefore, it's how I will respond to him. Because he's the one doing the reconciliation. So if you're sitting here today and you have stuff in your life, and I imagine every one of us has stuff in our life, God is saying that Christ died to reconcile us to Work on that stuff to get that stuff out that you and I would, would be right with God. 
And it's in that reconciliation, that work that he's done and the work that he is doing that we find the beauty of relationship with Jesus and the transformed life. So, we read on here and it says that in verse 18 that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? The ministry of reconciliation. <laughs> well, I imagine that as you sit here today, some of you, if not a lot of you, maybe most of you, have relationships in your life that are not reconciled. It could be a parent to a child, a child to a parent. It could be a sibling. It could be an aunt, it could be an uncle. It could be a former friend. It can be your neighbor, it could be a coworker. But we sit here with, rec with relationships that are broken. And you ache for them to be restored. And if you are like me, sometimes we try to ignore restoring those broken relationships. I want to tell you that I understand and I know the pain of broken relationships. And the reason why is this, is because I myself have caused my relationships to be broken. I've done things, I've said things, I've hurt people, and I've caused relationships to be broken. I also have broken relationships in, because people have done things to me and they've said things to me and it has broken my relationships. And some of those I've been able to mend and that's been really good. But some I have not. Some are still outstanding. But as you sit here and you're maybe feeling a little bad about these broken relationships, let me tell you this. That the message that he has given us, the ministry of reconciliation he's given us, it's the gospel message. It's actually not about broken relationships that you have with other people. What he's talking about in this passage doesn't mean that we shouldn't look to reconcile those broken relationships. What he's talking about here is that you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the message that Christ died for all. Amen? It's good. It's fantastic. That's what he's given us. That's what he's called us to do. That's why he says you're an ambassador to this. Because you and I can live in reconciliation. It's a good thing. It's the ministry that he's given us. The ministry you have. Because you have been reconciled that you can now come and say, listen, do you have a broken relationship? You can find reconciliation. Because ultimately, the broken relationship that you and I need to mend is the one that we would have between God and us. Let me talk a little bit. Let me come back to broken relationships that we have in our lives. Even though this is not what it's talking about, I want to talk about it. Because each of us will struggle. Each of us could have these broken relationships. So, I left church in Enderby, pastoring there for 18 years, and I did pretty good in most of my relationships. But about um, a year and a half before I left, it was about this time 
in the year, we did this musical every Christmas. We had somebody that wrote a play. We had another somebody that put music to it. We had, I don't know, 50, 60 kids that were involved. We did this musical. And the person who wrote the play and directed the play, she, in the course of directing one Sunday afternoon, had a confrontation with two of the kids that were there. And mom and dad didn't like that and confronted her, and it just started to get a little messy. So me, being the pastor, steps in to try to resolve the conflict that was there, and, um, and it only got worse. Now, you have to understand that I am friends with both of these families, like really good friends. I mean, so much so that one family, they asked Rain and I if, if we would, if we, if they, if they died, that we would take their children and raise their children. Six of them. <laughs> we said yes. I think they did that because they knew that we would pray for them. Like, who? Well, that's a lot. And I did. I prayed for them. That's how close we were. But this relationship broke down to the place that that was broken. Now, let me be honest with you and vulnerable with you that you would think that as a pastor, the thing that I would have done is that before I left, I would have reconciled that broken relationship, right? Of course, because I'm a pastor. That's what you do. I didn't. I have my own insecurities. I hate to fail people. I hate that. I'm a people pleaser. And so I walked away and I did a good job of justifying how I could walk away from this broken relationship. Like, really good job. Like, I know where I was right in every scenario. Of course, I did some things wrong, but my wrongs were nothing compared to their wrongs, and I justified it really well. So, you know what happens when you sit in silence with God? That's why we don't like to sometimes, because when we sit in silence with God, God kind of tends to talk to you. And he says to me, Scott, you need to reconcile this relationship. Okay, God, thank you very much. Go on. Two years. Two years. God keeps saying, you need to reconcile the relationship. So finally, I did the best I could. I'm living here. They're living there. I emailed them. I admit where I failed. I told them, I'm sure I hurt you in other ways that I don't understand. You're welcome to call me, email me, wait until we can see each other face to face, but I want to reconcile this. A week later, I finally get an email back, and it said, Scott, yes, you did hurt us tremendously. If you didn't hear that online, Siri said, I thought so. <laughs> Man. <laughs> How come Siri can know and not me? Huh? <laughs> and they said, you not only hurt us as our pastor, but you hurt us as a friend. 
You only betrayed us as a pastor, but you betrayed us as a friend. And he said, we forgive you, but we don't want to carry on a relationship with you. (laughs) Crushed. Is that relationship resolved? The best I can do right now. Am I at peace? I am. Because I've done everything I can at this point. And then I sit with the Lord and say, Lord, help me not to do this again. Why do I share that? Why would I share that when I'm saying that's not what this says? I'll share it this way. I can't reconcile my relationships outside until I'm willing to rest in my relationship of reconciliation inside. Does that make sense? I can't actually do what I need to do out here until I can do what I need to do in here. That is why I continue to say we need to be transformed. We need to have holy habits, spiritual practices. And we've been given this because of what Christ has done. That's what this is all about. Well, do you think this has sat long enough? What do you think, Mr. Carpenter? I think it has. Now, I'm not the strongest person here. If I threw it to Josh, he'd probably be able to tear it apart. He lifts weights. I don't. (laughs) When we come to the communion table today, and I know it's taken a while to get here, we come to remember what Christ has done for us, that he died for you. So as we do this this morning, Jesus, you and me, compelled by his love, we do so to remember the very thing that he has done. He has reconciled us. I'm going to invite the the worship team up here, and they're going to, as they come, um, Today is large communion. Oftentimes we have off to the side. You can participate if you want to. Today you can participate if you want to. If you're new to all this and you're saying, who can do this? This is the two requirements. The one is, is that you would be able to say that, yes, I believe that Jesus has reconciled me. I believe that he died for my sins and he rose again that I might have life and might have it abundantly. I believe that with all my heart. I accept that. If you're not there yet today and you're on that journey, we're all on the journey. And I would say to you, sit and contemplate today what it means to be on that journey of discovering Jesus' love. Secondly, he asks us to be right with him. And so maybe there is something in your life that yes, you can sit here and you can confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive you. But 
there's some things in your life that you know that he's saying, I want you to take care of first. There's no shame in not taking. I've several times not taken communion. Because this here, if it brings me to a place to contemplate whether I want Jesus in my life or it brings me to a place to contemplate whether how much I want him in my life, it is doing what it is meant to do. So this morning is an opportunity for all of us to sit and to come before God and just wait upon him. So I'm going to give you a couple moments to do that quietly. And then... um, I will ask the, those that are going to help serve communion to come up, and then we will uh, we'll begin. We'll have some instructions that will come up here of where to walk, and hopefully it won't be too confusing for you. And then we'll sit back down, and we'll take communion together. He has reconciled us. That's what we're celebrating this morning. Let's just take a minute or two before the Lord quietly and to contemplate where we are with him this morning. Father, as we sit here, I hear that baby over there and it's kind of cooing and talking and what a beautiful sound, Lord. It reminds me of my heart before you. That I can gaze upon the Father's eyes and I can hear him say, I love you. That's what you say, Lord, to us. I love you. And you have shown that love through Jesus. Oh, Lord, that we would recognize it's not what we have done, but you have done for us. And as we come to the communion table today, Lord, may we celebrate what you have done for us. So that we can take this beautiful message, this glorious message, of Jesus to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.